1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
2: It's another Sunday edition of the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. Justin Cuthbert, Julian McKenzie, and Julian, uh, are things a little bit, are we breathing a little easier now in Montreal, now that it doesn't seem like there's a playoff race anymore involving the Canadians?
3: I, I would hope so. I, I think it's really funny how a lot of people thought the sky was falling, and then one victory happens, and then it's like, oh, the Winnipeg Jets are, are not that far off in the North Division, and Cole Caulfield scores his first NHL goal. This is the happiest I've seen Montreal Canadiens fans in about like two months. That
2: literally might be the moment of their season. I mean, it's been a roller coaster season. Obviously, it started up. It's been. Down mostly ever since, but if we're on the upswing again, we're peaking uh, right before the playoffs. That might be a good thing for the Montreal Canadiens, who are at least going to get those playoff games in. I don't know if it's enough to uh save Mark Bergevin and Dominique Ducharme with Patrick Wah in the background of all guys. This. It's not happening. You it's that not going want. to
3: Patrick Wah. It's not going to happen. <laughs> if it happens, I will root I will eat my words. I'll. I don't know if you want me to wear some funny hat or or wear some shirt that says i uh, I'm stupid or whatever but Patrick Wall will not be coaching or have anything to do with the Montreal Canadiens. I'm willing to put money on that.
2: Hey, you also said that Cole Caulfield wasn't going to play a role this regular season.
3: I did say that. Yes. And look what happened. These. I'm, I'm just going to look dumb. Why not? Why not? Why not so, just look
2: dumb? So just pencil Patrick Wall in at the either GM or coach next season. Good, no, I'm goodness kidding. gracious uh, guys. I don't, I don't expect that to happen, but uh, you know, with that announcement, he's probably going to be back. He's fun. It, it, he'll make things a little bit more interesting wherever he lands. Uh, I wouldn't expect him to land with the Seattle Kraken. Uh, mm-hmm. But as we switch into our first topic, the Seattle Kraken did have a big, big week. I mean, they, they sort of changed from concept with you know this color scheme and logo and all that stuff. That was just uh, an idea, really, into a living, breathing organization with their final payment paid Friday. $650 million, the last of that to pay for their expansion fee. That is some serious money for the NHL, though that will not affect the salary cap. But anyway, uh, they are now eligible to make whatever move they want to at this point. Uh, We saw it with the Vegas Golden Knights four years ago. They signed a few players. They added a coach. Uh, And with all due respect to Reed Duke, the first player in Vegas Golden Knights history, and also Vadim Shipachov and Thomas Haika, actually maybe less respect to Vadim Shipachov because I didn't really like his uh, brief NHL tenure. Um, But the only thing major the Kraken can do before they pick their team, probably based on precedent would be getting their head coach. So, uh, you know, I'm open to suggestions if, if there is something else that the, the Kraken can do in short order here. But now that they are eligible to make moves, they can add players if they want. They can add a coach. They could always add a coach. But it seems like uh, now that they're official, that they'll start making those big moves. Is there something that you're going to look for from them to do before the expansion draft does roll around later on in July?
3: I would hope that uh, – I mean, I, th- I would think two things. One, I think it's important for them to get a coach as soon as they can. Uh, I mean, I understand that the playoffs are going to run, and there may be some assistance they might be looking at as well, but I'd be surprised if Gerard Gallant wasn't the guy who you know the success that he's had with, expand- with, with the Vegas Golden Knights and other teams. Uh, that being said, though, I will throw out this name to you, Bob Hartley. Bob Hartley is a guy who's had himself a pretty nice week winning the Gagarin okay. Cup in the KHL. Uh, We all know he won the Stanley Cup in 2001. This is a guy who's won at almost every level that he's coached. Uh, I wonder if Ron Francis has his number and will look to call him at any point. So that's my one little, you know, Bob Hartley card, just kind of sliding it on the table, just being like, hey, you should give that guy a call. But uh, yeah, I imagine they'll probably do their due diligence and wait out the playoffs. And maybe there's an assistant Colorado they might want to look at, someone on the Vegas Golden Knight bench they might want to look at. You know, do your due diligence there. I'm also excited to see... Uh, how it's going to work with the expansion draft and what trades might happen on there because general managers should have learned now, you know, don't mess up like what you did with the Vegas golden Knights. I understand the parameters are going to be a lot different for them. So it's not exactly going to be the same thing, but yeah, you'd hope that general managers across the NHL should have learned about how to value their own players and they don't end up building a juggernaut like what's happening in Vegas right now.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, that remains to be seen. I think there'll be some misfires because that's just going to happen. And and these GMs are going to want to protect their teams despite knowing that it could, uh, you know, uh, backfire pretty, pretty substantially. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned the coaches because I think that, again, that's sort of what I deduced was that's the main thing they, they can do. And I think it's uh, pretty important that they get to that pretty quickly. So I actually broke it down into three potential categories, but you added a fourth with the import, Bob Hartley. But what yeah. I'm looking at is the without a contract guys. So the guys that are in the NHL right now, but don't have a contract, the big names are Rod Brendamore and Travis Green. I think with either of those guys, I mean, if they could pry them out of Vancouver, that you know, already helps the rivalry, but if Ron Francis could reunite with Rod Brendamore, who seems to want to be in Carolina, but has also apparently made demands that he wants every single person that works under him to be compensated, and I don't know if Tom Dundon is ready to do that, knowing how he runs an NHL organization, so Rod Brendamore would be like my choice, I think he's probably the best possible coach that they could add, certainly in that uh, you know, taking a misfit cast like the the Vegas Golden Knights had. I think he would be a strong voice in that regard. But I also think Travis Green could be a, a good hire as well if either of those two teams decide not to retain what I think are two of the better coaches in the league. There's also Gerard Gallant, who you mentioned. He's the expansion king. He's going to coach Canada at the World Hockey Championships. That might be just the tune-up that he's basically accepted uh, and, and wants to you know is already maybe in negotiations with Ron Francis about being uh, part of the Seattle crack and I could actually see that happening and that's why he's taking this job but he had so much success with the Vegas Golden Knights that I, I, I don't think you can not interview him uh, so there's another bucket and the third bucket would just be the veterans of the game the guys like Bruce Boudreaux, Claude Julien I think you at least got to talk to these guys who have had so much success over the course of their careers certainly You know, neither of them have uh, had like really, you know, Stanley Cup worthy success recently. Bruce Boudreaux's never been there, Um, but he's a guy that always drives results and Claude Julian always drives underlying results. So I think there's five names there. You added Bob Hartley. There's six. I think you could interview all six of those guys and have done your due diligence. So do you have any hot takes on any of the guys I mentioned?
3: Um, I'd be surprised if Claude Julien was considered. I'd be surprised if Bruce Boudreau were considered. I just think those two guys, uh, in comparison to some of the first few names that you mentioned, uh, they're starting to become more retrends. Like, they might be able to, to make a team fairly competitive, but I don't know if they're the guy you necessarily want long-term. Um, Gerard Gallant, I still think, is the clubhouse leader. But there's a part of me, I guess maybe it's for the story in all of this, that wants to see Rob Brindamore like a bidding war just ensue between Carolina and Seattle. I mean, Ron Francis, Rob Brindamore, there's the natural There's a natural connection between those two already. But Tom Dundon, we, we know what he's like with his money. Uh, I'd be stunned if he found a way to kind of let Rob Brindamore leave. He's managed to turn that Carolina Hurricanes organization from a team that's just, you know, making its way into a team that's literally on the verge of being a contending team that's not a coach that you just kind of let go he's been great for the locker room he's been great for their players and i big up to him for wanting his staff paid i mean it's not every day you hear uh news about that being brought up from a coach but i think that's really admirable that he wants that to happen and if tom dundon for whatever reason doesn't honor that request he ends up looking like the bad guy in all of this and uh, easy pickings for seattle later
2: yeah, I think it's a brilliant move for Rod, uh, obviously, just to, to try and take care of his own, which is important, but also make sure that he's going to be working for an organization that's going to spend the money. And I know it's not Jeff Bezos, but for the purpose of this argument, Bezos versus Dundon, I think we know which one will be willing to spend a little bit more money. Seattle, if they want to go get Rod Moore, I, I think they definitely have the wherewithal to do so. They just paid $650 million for a franchise. Um, I, I should have looked this up, but do you know when Gerard Gallant was hired by Vegas in the processes, process? Was it before they put in that final payment? Was oh. it after they signed guys like Reed Duke and Vadim not. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but I wonder if they are waiting a little bit for what happens this uh, with the current coaches without a contract to see if they're uh, actually going to be available by the end of the season. I wonder if that's playing into the decision-making for Seattle, but uh, we shall see. Yeah, I I, I
3: don't know specifically uh, when Gerard was hired in that process, but I think, you know, if you're in it, I would imagine if you're running an NHL organization, you try to leave no stone unturned and you give yourself as much chance as possible. You know, maybe there's a really good assistant out there who's waiting for that opportunity and he, ends up, he could end up being that guy for, for your team. I don't know if you necessarily have to call Gerard Gallant right now and make that decision when you can just wait out and interview a few more candidates. Why limit your pool to three, five people when you can have it at 810 with some really good smart diamonds in the rough you can find, right? So, yeah, I imagine uh, they don't have to get a coach right now this minute. They can take their time at least.
2: Uh, it's, it's all going to happen really quickly I think we're two months away Two and a half months away from the expansion draft That means we're you know July to August, September We're about five months away From seeing the Seattle Kraken On the ice in an NHL game I mean, the, the pandemic has done a few things But it's sort of distorted time More than anything So, uh, yeah, you know, I can't wait 32 franchises uh, and, and more teams To cover it and talk about it. It's going to be a lot of fun Less fun was had by Alexander Edler earlier this week. Um, He was forced to pay the Piper for his knee-on-knee hit, which took Zach Hyman out of uh, the Maple Leafs lineup for two weeks uh, with a fight with Wayne Simmons. Uh, Alexander Edler, I'm sure, did not choose the fight, did not necessarily, you know, shy away from it. I think he just accepted his medicine in this case. Uh, But the fight... Uh, and the situation and everything that sort of goes with it has sort of brought into question the idea of the code. So did, you know, was the code followed in this regard? Did the Leafs break the code? What exactly happened here with Alexander Edler and Wayne Simmons? And, and did you uh, did you find the situation off-putting in, in, in any way?
3: I think the code was followed, right? I mean, he did the hit on Zach Hyman. He was supposed to, you know, fight somebody retribution and all that. And he ends up getting a fistful of Wayne Simmons, you know, Alexander Heather never had a fight yeah. before that fight and ends up fighting like the guy to fight uh, on the Toronto Maple Police. The code was respected, but I think it's stupid. I don't, I don't get it to me. It's just like, all right, fine. This bad thing happened in a game. And then the next game you, you have to absolutely have this fight for retribution. Like what's, What's the sense in it? It's a, But then again, I'm not an NHL veteran. I have never played the game and, and all that. So who am I to say? I just think it's just this this dumb kind of maybe not infantile, but like immature thing. Like congratulations, like, look, congratulations. You know, you, you you found a way to stick up for your teammate who ended up being hit on a knee, on a knee. Alexander Adler's not a dirty player. Like you didn't go out and maliciously like hit him. These things happen. Like. I don't understand why we have to have this code as a way to, you know, sort of even things out here. What if, and I mean, it's happened before, what if you have the fight go take place and some player suffers a serious injury in the midst of the fight? What, are you just going to have people just fight on top of each other and and ensure that (laughs) you just even things out that way? I just think it's just really stupid that we have to have this code or we have to have this process with with teams needing to have this sense of retribution but again i'm just a fan i'm just i'm just somebody just watching the game i'm not like a kevin biexa who actually explained this pretty well on on sports the other day on tim and friends where you know in in with fights like these like it may not necessarily be a fair fight that's just how it goes but i don't know to, to me it never really made sense to me organized fighting it's weird my thing with fighting is really weird i don't like Organized, premeditated, like fights. I'm a big fan of you know one incident happens and then all chaos breaks loose and then everyone just kind of fights in the moment. But if you're going to be like, all right, you know the two guys jawing at each other, tenderize, we we planned this and everything. That's that's fake to me. That's that's like wrestling to me. Like I don't like that.
2: Yeah, I didn't love it either. I mean, it, it's yeah, the idea of retribution, I guess, was achieved, but justice wasn't achieved. I mean, Zach Hyman's still out of the lineup. Alexander Mm -hmm. Edler had some, you know, had maybe a bruise on his cheek, but that's about it. I mean, he's still in the lineup playing. So you're never going to have this evened up or justice to be served. You're going to just have this weak attempt, I think, at retribution. But I sort of get the game within the game thing or the policing aspect of the game. I just prefer it to involve willing participants. So that doesn't mean like non-fighters can go around doing anything. I think they have to sort of pay the piper in the moment. As you mentioned, an incident happens and then chaos ensues. But the staged retribution asset or uh, aspect or the like wrestling aspect, as you as you said, the carryover aspect. Yeah. I think it should only involve willing and chosen participants, or at least players that are evenly matched or in the same weight class. Like we see this stuff all the time where there's a conversation at center ice and warmups and this player did something and he chooses from player a or B to fight because that's, you know, those are the, 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 the most fair or equitable matchups available. This wasn't that this was just Wayne Simmons. One of the toughest guys in the league going after a guy who, as you mentioned, never had a fight. Like is just not involved in this aspect of the game. So for that reason, I think I have a little bit of a problem with it. If there was a discussion with Simmons and Edler at warmups And Edler had the choice between Simmons and Travis Dermott. Let's say, then you know he would probably pick Travis Dermott, and then maybe it was you know make a little bit more sense. Um, Travis Dermott, you know, uh, what what would be standing up is what I'm looking for. Standing up for Zach Hyman would be very appropriate, given that those two were best buddies on the trading table a couple years ago when they both had off season surgery. But I do digress. The rest of it. If it's going to be contrived and planned and, you know, very put on, I think it should at least be fair. Otherwise, it's just like a bully hammering someone and no one does anything in the schoolyard about it, which isn't really fair to me.
3: Yeah, and it just imagine if Simmons really hurt Edler. I mean, if I'm Vancouver, I'm pissed as hell. And I understand they're going through the year that they're going through and maybe Toronto might be like, all right, fine. Well, you injured Zach and We're going to really injure Alexander Edler. I don't know. It's just... It, isn't it kind of like bullying where it's like if bullying continues like one guy keeps going then it just keeps going It's like a vicious cycle like I mean that's how I always see it maybe it's never ended, and maybe that never always happens that way but like I could just I'm just picturing this one time with the code where if it just keeps continuing then people just get hurt and then people just sit back and wonder like what the hell are we really doing like and maybe that's just me being paranoid about it but like I, I just don't think it makes sense to me if you really want to go make your point win win the damn game? I mean, getting two points at the end of the day, to me, means a lot more than having to fight somebody just because your teammate got hurt. People get injured all the time. We don't like it when it happens,
2: but it happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess but one one thing before I get to the next point is like bullying's a bit of a trigger word. So I don't want to like paint Wayne Simmons as a bully. That's He's doing his job. Um, so I just want to mention that. But you have to give credit to Alex Edler for taking the fight and just getting through it. I mean, uh, there is... Uh, Clearly, he didn't have an option um, in terms of who he was going to fight, but he had an option to take the fight or not. He could have just basically not dropped the gloves and made Wayne Simmons take a two-minute minor penalty, but he got through the situation, and now it's probably squashed, which is, I guess, the entire purpose of all this. But to me, it seems like this situation was more about the Leafs than the Canucks like the the Leafs have not had this situation before where they have a guy who stands up for, for players like we went through years where no one did anything when anyone took a run at any of the Leafs' best players and now we have Wayne Simmons who doesn't care that it's Alexander Edler and it was probably an accident and this guy isn't about that life but he still does it anyway. I think that's what that's a reason why he was brought to this team. And that is something that happened weeks before the playoffs, which indicates that, hey, we're for real. This is what we're doing. This is how it's going to be. And we're not going to get pushed around for the fourth or fifth straight postseason. So I think a little bit of it was about the Leafs. And, you know, Alexander Edler just got a, got in the way of a bit of a buzzsaw in terms of the, the guy he was fighting.
3: That's fair. I'll just add this with bullying. Uh, yes, you're right. It is a trigger word. And maybe I should not have invoked that particular I said it first, so it was my, That's- my fault. That's fair. Uh, The other thing I will mention is uh, at least the Adler Simmons discussion brought out some uh, really interesting fights between uh, Toronto and Vancouver fans on Twitter. Those were some pretty interesting back and forth. The best part is seeing uh, everyone on both sides of the fight mention the phrase rent-free, knowing that the, the people in those two markets come from two of the most expensive places places to live in this city. So there's no free rent going around anywhere. Or I guess it must be nice to find free rent somewhere between those two markets. But uh, some really interesting commentary between uh, both of those two sides. I'm sure, I'm sure Sam Chang, uh, who we see on Zone 10 every now and then, got herself in a, in a few back and forths with a few people.
2: Yeah, and I mean, media members taking sides too, right? Like uh, yes. Vancouver media was not happy with it. But if the shoe was on the other foot, would they have cared as much? Uh, I doubt it. So, uh, like, it's so hard to not have our biases seep in. Uh, and this was another example of it. Um, okay, so it is the final full week of NHL action. I mean, we are close to the postseason here, Julian, which Oof. is a uh, certainly a welcome sight. It is going to be another two full weeks for some teams. Uh, but most teams I think will be done within the next 10 days. Uh, So we can really dive into and sort of set the scene for the NHL's final week and and see what's at stake here. And I think we should go for the last time uh, division by division with the four divisions that we have for, as I mentioned, the final Mm -hmm. time as things go back to normal and obviously Seattle comes in. So let's answer the biggest question for each division going into the final week here. And I think we should start at West. Uh, It's always been about Colorado and Vegas. Minnesota's fought its way into this, and and they're they're right in the thick of this race. I don't think they can take down the number one seed, but they can certainly catch Colorado for number two. But I think the more interesting thing here is the possibility of the Avalanche, who are now pretty much healthy. They've been dealing with a lot of injuries, uh, certainly recently. Can they chase down Vegas here over the final uh, few games and avoid that first-round matchup with the Minnesota Wild? Right now, Vegas is four points up. Uh, Colorado has a game in hand, and they do play each other one more time. Um, but it, it sort of comes down to the schedules, I think, with these two teams. I think Colorado ha- Colorado, might have a little bit of an easier ride, but uh, they certainly have ground to make up.
3: For sure, but I think Vegas has just looked so good these last few weeks. They are on that winning streak that they had. I, I, I would be very surprised if Vegas would let up over these next few games and, and Colorado jump back in. It would be really fun of a division race to follow, obviously. But I, I just think that Vegas has finally reach that second gear that they've wanted to reach at this point. That's going to propel them into a good run in the postseason. So I don't know. I, I think Colorado might end up falling into second and yeah, it might be a bit of a tough time for, for them against Minnesota. I think their last game ended up not going so well for them, but I mean, I think if you're Colorado here, whether you're up against a Minnesota or a St. Louis and I don't want to maybe project too far in the future here, but I still think Colorado isn't going to have that tough of a time against either of those two opponents. I don't want to say it doesn't matter. If they don't win the division or not, obviously you want to put yourself in a position where you get the easier matchup and winning a division title is good. But considering how good Colorado is, considering the changes that they've made with their organization and and getting the help at goaltender that they need, if they have to put themselves in a series against Minnesota, I'm still giving them the edge in that playoff run. And it doesn't matter if it ends up being a tough one for them going forward. Sometimes teams like having that, you know, six or seven game series and not just playing four games. And then they have that layoff after. So I, I don't want to say it doesn't matter if they don't win the division, but I wouldn't be worried about the avalanche if they don't get that first seat. Cause I really don't see Vegas giving it up right now.
2: I just hope that the, uh, that the games this week go a certain way where Monday's matchup between Vegas next Monday, May 10th matchup between Vegas and Colorado means something. I think that would be a lot of fun to have a pre playoff playoff game between those two teams. I think that would be uh, fantastic. And it might set up that way because Vegas has St. Louis and, and Minnesota twice while Colorado has, uh, uh, I think a couple games against San Jose to start here. So this could tighten up quickly. Uh, and I do think it, you mentioned you're not as worried about Minnesota, but I think if either of these teams uh, get, uh, you know, falls into that second spot when they could have had that chance to get that first spot, I think they might regret it just because of how, how, how good Minnesota is. And, and if they don't beat them, If Minnesota doesn't upset one of those two teams, I think they could take them far, maybe take a little sting out of them before they have to play each other. So I think the incentive uh, certainly should be there for both those teams. So we'll see what happens there in the West. Let's move over to the Central. It looks like Carolina is going to win the division. They're up pretty clear on both Tampa and Florida, who are going to play each other in round one, it seems But the more interesting thing is what's going to happen with the fourth seed. I mean, they might just be a lame duck against Carolina in the first round, uh, but there was a huge game Saturday night to determine the fourth seed or to help determine the fourth seed, and Eric Hollis scored a massive overtime goal for Nashville. I think that game or the result of that game could have swayed the playoff odds like 47% one way or the other uh, between Dallas and Nashville. So it was a huge game, and it was a huge win for Nashville, even if they did concede one loser point to Dallas. Um, but it could have been tied. Now they're three points up. The Stars do have a game in hand. Uh, The schedules are interesting. The Preds have Columbus and Carolina, two games apiece, and the Stars have two against Tampa Bay, two against Chicago, and then one against Florida as well. So it's a bit of a toss-up here. Obviously, the Stars have to make up some ground, uh, but if they can have some success in those those, those two games against the Tampa Bay Lightning, we could have an interesting finish in the Central
3: absolutely here you're thank you for saying toss up because that's literally how i'm looking at both of these two teams who put themselves in the position to fight for that fourth seat remember when we all thought nashville was was going to be looking at selling at the deadline and matthias echo was like the prized player to get the trade deadline since then mm-hmm. they've just turned themselves into a team that's really going to go for it in the playoffs here and you're right they it might end up with them losing in the first round but you never know in the stanley cup playoffs here I, I still kind of lean towards Nashville. I, I think they, uh, they still have enough in the tank to kind of get that fourth seed and maybe Dallas might be a little too far back. But I mean, I, I just like the idea of a race between those two teams. I'll give the edge to Nashville, but it's as much of a toss up as
2: I can make it. I've been picking the Dallas comeback all year, and I'm going to stick to it. I think the the Preds have Columbus the next two, and then they have Carolina with two after that. So if they That's only tough. win one of those Columbus games, and the Stars manage to get some points in the next few games, then they have to beat Carolina to get in. And if Carolina isn't in a position yet where they have to basically sit guys or not have to really worry about getting those two points to lock up the division, then those could be difficult games. So uh, I think the situation does the schedule does work out favorably for the Predators. But it only works out favorably favorably if they beat the Columbus Blue Jackets in those two games because then you've got Carolina in waiting. So uh, that's definitely one of the more interesting... I mean, it was a great Saturday night with a lot of big games that meant something. But that Stars-Preds game, uh, I think, probably meant the most uh, based on where we are right now. That is... You know, there's debate, though, because if we go to the East Division, I mean, the Pittsburgh Penguins beat the Washington Capitals on Saturday night, and that was a massive game because they have now taken control in the East Division. The reward, unfortunately, for winning the East Division is probably playing Boston in the first round, which I don't know if that's worth it. But nevertheless, back-to-back wins over those Capitals has them two points up. The Caps do have a game in hand. They seem to be limping to the finish line a little bit with Alex Ovechkin and John Carlson injured. Uh, Their remaining... The remaining schedule for Washington is two against New York, the Rangers, two against Philly and one against Boston, while Pitt has two against Philly and two against Buffalo to close. So that's favorable, obviously. But can Philly, you know, ruin things a little bit for Pittsburgh here (laughs) and make things a little bit more difficult? I don't even want to say ruin because it's either Boston or New York. Uh, But yeah, I guess you like to win division titles, throw something up in the rafters if, you know, you're one of the organizations that does celebrate division titles.
3: I mean, Nashville might know a thing or two. Is it Nashville? Yeah, they're the ones that know a think they're, too two. They're
2: that. they're the three banner for one division.
3: <laughs> I'll say this: uh, I find it's so amazing that the Boston Bruins come in as a four, could come in as a four seed, and everyone is scared of them because of this one man. Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall (laughs) changed everything with the Boston Bruins. He really did. He, he, like, before it was the perfection line, and then you looked at, all right, everyone else looks a bit formidable. But now you have Taylor Hall, who doesn't necessarily have to be the guy on the team, and everyone in that East Division is like, oh, I don't know if I want to play against the Boston Bruins, including the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, So, yeah, I – I mean, I think for Pittsburgh, obviously, you still want to kind of put yourself in that position. I still think they could get the edge on Boston, but it's really fascinating to me how Boston has turned itself into this team that other teams should be worried about, all because they did the smart thing and get and they got Taylor Hall for, for really peanuts on the dollar when you really think about it here, like a draft pick like Andrews Bjork. Like, seriously, for a former Hart Trophy winner, a guy as productive as he's been, yes, he was in Buffalo all that time, but Taylor Hall... I don't don't get it. I I said it before. I don't get why teams didn't want to take this guy. I don't get why teams were were all like, I wouldn't touch him with like a 30-foot pole or whatever because he scores goals, he produces, and if he doesn't have to be the focal point of your offense, he could be a good fit. But So Boston's going to reap the benefits here.
2: Oh, and he's completely changed sort of the the dynamic with their forward groups because now they have secondary scoring, and it's not just him. Like, Craig Smith got a hat-trick the other day. Craig Smith's been filling the net. David Krejci had two goals through the first, like, three months of the season, and now he's, you know, putting in two or three points per game, it seems. Like, that second line is now formidable, and that makes Boston maybe the most dangerous team in the East. But if I'm the Washington Capitals, I might be a little disappointed if I don't win the, you know, get the top seed because they've had their issues with the New York Islanders who are in the three seed. Uh, so if they drop into the, in the two hole, then they have that revenge rematch again against Barry trots. And we know how that went last year. Oh, so, yeah. uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, there's nowhere to hide in the East division. Let's face it. But, uh, I almost feel like Washington would be more comfortable with Boston, and I feel like Pittsburgh might be more comfortable with New York, even though New York's given pretty much everyone trouble, including the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, uh, yeah, you can't hide. But uh, uh, at least right now, Pittsburgh is favored to win the division. But New York, the New York Rangers have been struggling.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
2: Washington's got those uh, two games against New York next uh, so they could get their way back into this um, and we could have a interesting finish maybe Buffalo plays spoiler at the end of the year in their Super Bowl game against Pittsburgh we shall see Uh, okay let's move on to the north Uh, it used to be can Calgary or Vancouver catch Montreal but now as you mentioned off the top it's can Montreal catch Winnipeg and shake up what we thought were matchups that were pretty much set in stone you know, months ago, with Winnipeg and Edmonton likely seeing each other at 2-3, and Toronto and Montreal finally, after decades and decades and decades, meeting each other in a meaningful playoff series. But the door is open now for Montreal, who's starting to get some traction themselves, but mainly it's open because the Jets have lost six in a the row. They've looked brutal without Nick Ehlers in the lineup. Unfortunately, these two teams do not play each other again, so it's going to come down to what... You know, the intentions and ambitions are of the other teams in the division, uh, but both the teams have six games remaining. Montreal has Toronto three times, which is not great. Edmonton twice, so they're playing the cream, the creme de la creme in the North Division. And also Ottawa once, while the Jets have Ottawa twice, Vancouver twice, Calgary and Toronto once each. Um, can Montreal catch Winnipeg here? I'd be surprised if they did,
3: but it would... Montreal would have to play their best hockey of the second half of, of this season so far. I think when they won over the Ottawa Senators on Saturday night, that's was like the first time since like March that they won like consecutive games because they didn't do that all of April. So that would mean the Canadians would have to be able to play well consistently over a certain amount of games I mean, this is the time to do it, really. And they would also have to hope that Winnipeg would somehow I'm still surprised at the fact that they have just fallen so far down with, with the losses that they've had. I know Nick Ehlers is a is a really good forward for them, but like I I have been praising their top six like all year because they have those pieces up front. Uh so I'm surprised that they've kind of fallen on hard times as of late. And Connor Hellebuck, we're really seeing that this team has really had to rely on Connor Hellebuck's performances to kind of prop themselves up to a certain extent. I'd be surprised if Montreal somehow surpassed them considering what uh, March and April have looked like for this team, but that would be like the best, that would be probably the best thing going for them to, to, to enter the playoffs and they're banged up with all the injuries that they had. Shea Weber didn't even play over the weekend and who knows when he will end up back in the lineup. And funny enough, they actually looked okay without Shea Weber in the lineup. They looked a little lighter. They looked a little faster as well. and, and, I think that's what the Canadians need. It's slowly, it's the closest they look to what they look like in the first half of the season for them. Again, I'd still be surprised if they somehow make it so that they end up in that third hole. I think Winnipeg would have to really fall off for that to happen. But if Montreal can at least still end the season on a good note and then have all those players come back, that's going to look good for them heading into a playoff series. But again, I I still would be very surprised if Winnipeg falls.
2: It might be too much to ask to uh, bookend the season with you know, those undefeated streaks that Montreal had. Um, obviously, they started really well, and it's it's possible that they end really well. They are ending quite well, but uh, they'll probably need to win five of the six games to catch uh, Winnipeg. The lead is only two, uh, but Montreal is running into Toronto and Edmonton. They've had some success against Edmonton, but playing Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid uh, for five out of the six games is going to be tough to get the results you need probably to catch Winnipeg. But... Honestly, the way Winnipeg's playing, I don't think it's I don't think it's impossible.
3: I guess not. I'll say this about Connor McDavid too: uh, the Canadians for most of the year, for whatever reason, they found a way to shut down Connor McDavid and Leon Drysyle. The last two games against the Edmonton Oilers, three point games for Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid found a way to split through that Montreal Canadiens team, and I don't know if they're going to keep that boy shut out in in their next few games against him. So that might also play a role in, in how Montreal will end up finishing in this division.
2: Yeah, it doesn't help that both Matthews and McDavid are chasing these slightly arbitrary but interesting numbers that I'm sure they know all about with Matthews uh 2 goals away now from 40 in a 56 game schedule and he's missed a handful of games which is wild and Connor McDavid mm-hmm. despite what Matthews is doing Connor McDavid is clearly going to win the Hart Trophy because he's been the best player in the world and he's I, got, I think he's got 87 points now yeah. in the 50 games that I believe he's played, or 49, I think, actually. Uh, they're not quite at the 50-game mark uh, just yet. So, yeah, it's going to be tough for, you know, Montreal's going to have its hands full. But, uh, you know, maybe we get a couple interesting games down the stretch because, let's be honest, the North Division hasn't been all that interesting in terms of seeding or races for quite some time.
3: And Ottawa too. Don't forget about Ottawa. If there's one, Ottawa's team there's the last game... team
2: I want to play right now. Well, well, one of the last teams I want to play right now. I mean, Seriously. the Jets have them twice, uh, but Ottawa, in terms like more so than Calgary, more so than Vancouver, maybe more so than Edmonton and Toronto, at the end of the line when they don't have to play for anything, Ottawa is going to be raring to go. They they have they are one of the few teams that has every reason to finish the season strong because you know this is these are the meaningful games still. These are the meaningful games for them. They're not, they didn't underachieve. They didn't, you know, they're not where they, they are exactly where they should be. And if they can fight their way out of last place, I think it'd be a major victory for that organization. So I think we're going to see the best Ottawa Senators team over the last few games here. Uh, And I don't know if we quite saw that versus Montreal last night or Saturday night, but uh, I think they're going to be a handful for Winnipeg and that might open the door.
3: That might be like the Senators might be going through like the best loser season. I could think of. I've never seen this much positivity surrounding a team that's not going to make the playoffs, but they've, I mean, they've been, they've, they've wrecked a lot for the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, we can go back to the comeback when they had over the Leafs as well. Uh, How many other teams in the North Division can look back at an Ottawa Senators game and be like, damn it, like, why were they being disturbers with us this year like come on like I think that that, that that's essentially what Ottawa is supposed to do they're supposed to just be in the division just play these tough games against other teams not make the playoffs but at least make other teams lives a bit more miserable and I think they've
2: succeeded in that regard very few teams are going to feel good about themselves in the North Division by the end of the season but I think Ottawa is going to be one of them they might be the only one I mean if Toronto Maybe. gets through and loses in the third round I don't know how great everybody's going to be feeling and you know Edmonton Uh, Calgary, Montreal, Vancouver—like there was all the expectation that would be, you know, something would happen this year. But I don't, I don't know if it's going to happen. We will, we will see when the playoffs do get underway. Okay, let's get to the tire pump. It's the weekly segment there where we acknowledge someone or something for this week. Uh, It's taking over the uh, sports media landscape. Uh, So let's continue with the momentum. Go ahead, Julian.
3: All right, I'm glad you mentioned the tire pump because uh, brought out a pump. Just oh. to, yeah, made sure to, to do that. Uh, wow. This week, uh, Chris Johnston of Sportsnet is deserving of a tire pump. Uh, over the last few weeks, he has been training for uh, a marathon. And uh, Last few weeks,
2: sport- every day for the last 365 days. Yes, that's
3: very true. For the last year, not last few weeks, excuse me. But yes, uh, he's been going out raising money for uh, the organization Conquer COVID-19. He ran that marathon a few days ago, uh, a little over three hours 39 minutes and 45 seconds. I believe I have that exact time right. Uh, and he wore a juggernaut shirt the whole time, which is the best part of that entire run. Uh, CJ, congratulations on being able to do this. Uh, I know you've made it clear that uh, the way 2020 went down, uh, you know, was obviously tough on your mental health, but uh, dude, you were able to find something that was able to kind of keep yourself going. And a lot of people were able to unite behind your cause and uh, it was really fun to, to follow your updates. And uh, it was really awesome to see that you were able to complete this marathon. So uh, my tire pump, yeah, I'm just going to put this in the frame one last time here. I'll even, uh, actually, I think this might be locked, actually. I'm not going to embarrass myself further on this program here. Uh, Chris Johnston uh, gets my tire pump for this week.
2: That glass case you have behind you, I think uh, you might have to put the pump in there just for, uh, for our show. I'll do uh, Good shout out, though. I mean, CJ, I I call him the Jack Campbell of Toronto Sports Media. He's uh, not because he's hard on himself, but because he's always giving stiff, sick taps to everybody. And uh, he's the all around good guy uh, that hangs around Scotiabank Arena. Uh, I will give my tire pump to actually 3 netminders. I am breaking the rules here a little bit, but Whoa. 3 goalies are getting pumps for me. Three. Each each of them at different stages of their hockey life cycle, so I want to like, you know, I, I want to hit the entire spectrum here of netminders who had big weeks. The first is Ryan Miller, who played possibly his final game Saturday night in a 6-2 win for the Anaheim Ducks. I think time has distorted the way we look at Ryan Miller a little bit because he's one of the best US-born netminders ever. He won a Vesna Trophy. He was at the height of his powers at the 2010 Olympics when he almost stole the gold medal away from Sidney Crosby in Canada. This is one of the great goaltenders of the generation, and he's kind of going out with a whimper here, it seems, a little bit. Uh, so I'm glad that he's getting at least his due a little bit. You know, LA, the LA Kings lining up, giving him taps. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, who... Might be getting a pump here in a second. Uh, taking the time in his media conference to give him uh, the acknowledgements that he deserves. I, I feel like he's been uh, out of the spotlight for so long that he's not going to get the appreciation that he, he deserves. But uh, this is a truly great netminder and one that deserves uh, the accolades that he did um, earn throughout his career and on his way out of the door here. Uh, the second, as I alluded to, was Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, I will never turn down the opportunity to pump his tires because he'd do the same for me if he had any reason to. Uh, but Marc-Andre Fleury tied Luongo for third all-time in wins. He will take sole possession from Luongo before the end of the season based on how Vegas is playing. Uh, and he's only behind Mark or Patrick Wah, rather and Marty Brodeur. There's that uh, name again. That's... Patrick unbelievable, co- unbelievable company uh, and two guys that are going to be back. Uh, Marty party is back in the game right now, right? I think <laughs> two guys that are two guys that are about to be holding down uh, management positions. Um, and you know what? Mark andre Fleury might be doing that when his career is done, but hopefully no time soon, because I still think, you know, he's a brilliant goaltender guy who's in the Vesna conversation and another guy who deserves his accolades. And the third is Thomas Grice. I might be trying to hit my Red Wings quota a little bit with this one because we have not talked about the Red Wings at all on this podcast. Uh, but no goaltender has been better than Grace over the last little bit. The man has played into a shootout without giving up a goal in each of his last two games. He's got a 965 save percentage in his last five. That would have been a nice deadline acquisition for a team looking for goaltender help. I know he's got one more year on his, on his deal with Detroit, but that's a guy who can give quality minutes in either a platoon as the guy. Thomas Grice is a good goaltender. He's just playing for a bad team and that's the only thing that's keeping us from talking a little bit more about him. So those are my tire pumps. Three goalies, one out the door, one at the height of his game and one, you know, just trying to get by in Detroit.
3: Of course he had to mention three. All all worthy and deserving tire pumps. Of course you had to mention three though.
2: I mean you know, rules are meant to be broken. You did it once. And I think uh, I did do it, it once when the time, when the time is, is right. You got to, uh, you got to go for it. I didn't want to just, you know, I didn't want to do just flurry with Miller, Mil- just Miller with flurry and Thomas Grace, the guy who's caught my attention this week. So there it is. I there you go JC.
3: Don't apologize for nothing.
2: I'll none mean, of them. The- I was just going to say, none of them can compare to what CJ accomplished though this week.
3: Hey, big up to CJ, big up to him for, for what he was able to accomplish. And I should have mentioned off top that it was over the last year and not just a matter of a few weeks because training for a marathon for a whole year, like that's, it's a lot better than me. I I, I mean, I couldn't do
0: that.
2: I didn't know. I, I was actually on a run in Toronto, probably it was before the bubble started because we talked about the possibilities of the bubble. So it was probably 10 months ago. I ran into him while running. He was running we didn't, we had this like awkward handshake because we weren't allowed to touch each other. You know, COVID, we were like, you don't know how to react with people because it was like two yeah. months in. But I didn't know at the time that I was witnessing history, one of the runs on his way to the marathon, uh, I got to witness in person. So that's just a anecdote that really doesn't add anything. But uh, I, just want, <laughs> I just wanted people to know that I'm not completely sedentary in my lifestyle right now.
3: No, but also like the fact that you could say you were laying witness to history. That's something. That's a story you can remember for the there rest you of go. your life.
2: That's that's the that the closest I've been to glory is to witness oh, someone sure. else on one of the 365 runs really into a marathon.
3: Really, you're saying the closest you've ever been to glory is watching Chris Johnston run? You of all people? Sure. Okay, buddy. Re-
2: recent, recently, 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 yeah. recently. Sure. It's been a tough year just staring at these four walls. Okay, we're finally, or we're officially off the rails, so let's uh, let's wrap this baby up. Uh, for Julian McKenzie, this is Justin Cuthbert. This is the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week with the final episode before the playoffs start, I believe. This whole North Division thing is sort of, you know, clouding where everything is in terms of timeline, but I believe we'll have playoff games to talk about two weeks from now, so we will tee up the playoffs one week from now, uh, and it should be good. Julian, uh, I'll let you sign it off.
3: All right. I'm looking forward to next week. Peace. See ya.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.